the farming program with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. So it looks like SFI is delayed again. The detail and what does it mean for farmers from the NFU and CLA? It means that no farmers are going to be paid this year for SFI. I think we're quite worried about the cash flow implications. On a more positive note, the NFU has a great opportunity for young farmers and students and we'll hear about some enjoyable, inspiring and free business support. There is a lot of information out there and with our workshops and our one-to-one support, we're trying to make that accessible and understandable to farmers. Plus, of course, the markets, the weather and some important agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, welcome to the online podcast version of The Farming Programme with more of The Week in Agriculture from 7am every Sunday. Enjoying the sunshine? Well, it seems so are the cabbage stem flea beetles. More on that with our independent agronomist, Sean Sparling. But first, in the news this week, Sainsbury's announces a new £6 million investment for dairy farmers. If you supply the supermarket giant with milk, you'll be paid an additional fixed 1p a litre more from next month. And they're introducing sustainability bonuses. England's pig population has fallen to its lowest number in over 10 years, according to new figures from DEFRA. It now stands at 3.63 million head, an 11.6% decline year-on-year, or nearly half a million animals. The reduction comes as the pig sector is just starting to recover after 10 consecutive quarters of loss-making due to the challenges, including the loss of exports to the Chinese market for some, global disruption to CO2 supplies and crippling labour shortages due to Brexit and the pandemic. One little bit of good news, though, is that pork prices remain favourable, with the market value having grown 10.2% over the year, but volumes still sit 4.7% lower over the same period. And there are photo ID changes coming for ammonium nitrate fertilisers. From the 1st of October, you'll need to provide photo ID before purchasing AN fertiliser with a nitrogen content of 16% or more. The new rules will apply to compounds, blends and mixtures such as NPK fertilisers that exceed the AN threshold, also to seric ammonium nitrate and potassium nitrate. Last week, we briefly mentioned delays to SFI. We'll talk to the NFU and the CLA in a few minutes, but let's start with something a little more positive with Andy Guy, area organiser for the NFU. You're looking for more young farmers for the Student and Young Farmer Ambassador Programme. What's that all about, Andy? So this is a programme that's been running, I think we're in the fifth year now of of running this programme. It's a national programme run by the National Farmers Union, and it's aimed at people between 18 and 30 who have a a vested interest in the future of farming. So they don't have to be farmers or sons or daughters of farmers, but people, you know, working in the industry uh, with ambitions to work in the industry, perhaps. So you might be a student going to university or college, might be working on a farm, could be a a fully-fledged farmer yourself. Anybody between 18 and 30, you have to be in England or Wales. And it's a programme of events and training that lasts a year. So uh, it's open for applications now, but it's the year actually starts January the 1st, 2024, and there's activities and events throughout the year, giving you the opportunity to further develop your experience and knowledge of farming. Some fantastic opportunities you'll get to go to the National Farmers Union Conference. Uh, you'll represent farming at all sorts of shows and, and events through the year, even opportunities to meet with MPs and ministers and, and so on. 
So it's a fantastic opportunity for somebody who's got an ambition to deliver a positive message about British farming. So they get the chance to contribute. What do they get out of it? Well, I think it's about opportunities and about networking. It's about meeting people. And it's a fantastic thing to have on a, a CV if, you, if you're looking for a career in farming or the allied industries. You know, all sorts of opportunities there. So it's a, it's a real um, character building, network building, um, CV building opportunity. And a lot of fun as well thrown yeah. into it, I think. Now, you mentioned the, the age, you mentioned England, Wales. Are there any other criteria to be met? Do they need to be on a particular type of farm or have any particular background? No, absolutely not. They don't even have to be on a farm. So um, you, you might be a, a um, you know, you maybe you've just left school, you're about to go to agricultural college or university and do an agriculture related course. Maybe even not that. Maybe you're going to study geography or something like that. But you've You've got a passion for farming. That's the thing we're really looking for. Is there a cost to this and how do you apply? So it's completely free. It's completely funded by the NFU. So in order to apply, you've got to provide, it's a video application. You, you, you make a little video uh, explaining about yourself and your passion for farming and why you want to be part of the scheme. You can do it directly to NFU. You can do it through the NFU website. But the best way to do it is to contact your county advisor for the NFU. You can find... Um, their contact details online. So if if you contact one of us, we'll give you some pointers and some tips and hints about things that might make your video application a little bit uh, more powerful, give you a better chance of getting in. That's really great advice, Andy. Thanks for that. And what's the deadline for getting applications together? Okay, Steve. So the the application window opened on the 1st of September, so you can put an application in now. And the deadline, the closing date, is midnight on the 29th of September. Thanks, Andy. Stick with us for a moment, if you would. On the heels of delays to those for countryside stewardship mid-tier, the opening of SFI applications has been put back again. We're joined by Cameron Hughes, CLA Land Use Policy Advisor. But first, Andy Guy from the NFU. It seems there's delays to the new scheme, but the reduction in direct payments continues. Where are we now with SFI? Yeah, I mean, we're really frustrated by the whole SFI I think if you roll the, the timeline back several years, we were promised by government that the budgets for for farmers and for supporting farmers to produce safe, wholesome food and to look after the environment, those budgets were going to be frozen and they'd be uh, maintained. And one of the ways that they were going to do that, because they were going to reduce the direct subsidies that farmers used to get from the basic payment scheme. But in, in return, we were promised opportunities for farmers to reclaim that money by doing extra environmental work. And that seemed fair. You know, there there was a way for farmers to replace that lost income. But we've seen just delay after delay after delay in the planning and and delivery of this thing. But the support payments have declined absolutely along the timeline that they forecast. So farmers are out of pocket, and that's really frustrating. This is the public money for public goods. We're seeing the 50% reduction in the current direct payments going ahead but delays in the new scheme to replace it. Exactly that, Steve. It's, it's exactly that. Initially, it was, it was delays in the design of that scheme. And, and now we understand that the scheme is pretty much designed. We've got the Sustainable Farming Incentive, which is a really good scheme, I think. It's got 23 different um, activities and actions that farmers can take to improve the 
environmental performance of their business across a whole range of things. So there's something there for nearly every farmer. But now we're finding, you know, we were promised that that would be open and available for farmers to uh, enter into the scheme in August. But we're, uh, well, initially we heard um, problems of, with registration and now we're hearing IT problems are, are behind that. Uh, it's the same old story. We hear it again and again with DEFRA IT where they just can't deliver what they promised. So we're seeing another month's delay before farmers can even start to understand what it is and can even apply for, for schemes for their, for their businesses. And that means further delays down the line. It means that no farmers are going to be paid this year for SFI um, work that they might do. The first, if, if we're lucky and they manage to hit the current targets that they're giving us, which is a, an opening date in September, um, if we're lucky, those farmers might get paid something in January. But which, it's work that they'll have to do, you know, at, at their cost uh, already. Which, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's, a, it's No, as you say, it's not fair and it's delaying, it's causing problems with cash flow and so on and so forth. Mm. In what seems to be, and what certainly the NFU are saying, seems to be a decent scheme. Payments for things like hedgerows, pest management, buffer strips, etc., etc. And the pick and mix aspect of it seems to be well received. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think DEFRA have listened to what we said and I think they've taken it on board and they've delivered what I think is a a fair scheme. There's probably room for some tweaking and some more options to be added later, perhaps, and that sort of thing. And they've said that they're they're willing to think about that. But they were trying hard to get this this core scheme out with the 23 options. And as you say, there's there's things for almost every farmer. There's hedgerow options and and, um, pest management options, reducing um, the the amount of chemical fertilizers, about protecting water and all those sorts of things. Um, they're really logical things, but they're going to cost farmers money. And and in order to do them, the farmers have to have that incentive. That's why it's called the sustainable farming incentive. It's there to compensate them for doing things which will impact their farming. It's either going to cost them extra money or it's going to reduce their output in some way. So it's going to deliver a public good. It's going to deliver a more sustainable food system. Um, but it's just got to get kicked off and, and, and started. And we're hearing that not all farmers will be able to apply on the 18th of September, but you can and probably should register your interest now. Cameron, could you clarify this for us? DEFRA do testing of the system at the moment, and the next few weeks are pretty critical in terms of determining what the, um, what's going to be possible on the 18th of September, basically. OK. Um, now, and they haven't decided yet who's going to who's going to come in on the 18th. Whether, whether it's going to be a certain cohort that like present less complicated combination of circumstances, where for example people that are BPS recipients only, but not in other schemes. Um, it's the it's the people that are in multiple existing agri-environment schemes, or um, where it gets a little bit more complicated. But it depends on how the testing goes over the next couple of weeks. And so no one's in, no one's in a position to know. It's so. so frustrating at the moment, isn't it? But at, at the moment, that's the situation. We'll obviously keep an eye on this each week on the farming programme. But the delay to being able to apply means a delay in payments coming through. What's the effect mm-hmm. of all this going to be on CLA members? I think we're quite worried about the cash flow implications um, because SFI... It works under quarterly, a quarterly payments model, which is something that 
we'd welcome from a cash flow perspective rather than getting an annual payment through BPS, countryside stewardship, etc. Um, but the delay does mean that even if you were to go through uh, on the 18th of September and, and apply, you then have to wait for to be offered an agreement that happens fairly quickly. You then have to accept the agreement and the agreement goes live. Um, the expectation is that that won't happen. You won't have a live agreement until at the very start of October. Um, and therefore, your first quarterly payment would come through in January, um, which obviously with BPS, second BPS payments coming through through the door in December, um, it, it potentially creates a, a cash flow issue for, for members, particularly when they thought they, you know, much earlier this year, we thought we'd have perhaps received one or even two SFI payments by uh, by December this year where you've got your top up of BPS. If this is causing problems for a member, who would you recommend they talk to? Uh, well, ha- happily speak to them ourselves. So we've got advice regionally with our regional hub offices, uh, with regional advisors that they can speak to. Also, we're happy to speak to anyone that's interested uh, in the in the head office as well. And uh, basically, the more people that we can speak to, the more frustrated members, the better, really. So we can go, go into our DEFRA stakeholder meetings or meetings with ministers, you know, armed with as much information on the ground as possible. And, of course, we know farming is not just a short-term job. This is going to cause all sorts of problems with planning, Andy. Oh, that's absolutely right, Steve. The, the, you know, the fastest turnaround any farmers have is perhaps in the, in the arable sector, and that's a year. You know, farmers are thinking about they have, to, they have to decide what they're going to plant, and it's a year before they sell that crop and, uh, and get some money from it. So every month that they delay... You know, messes up those plans. They have to rejig them, rethink what they're going to do, redesign their whole business strategy um, to cope with another month's delay. Right. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Forgive the cynicism in my voice, but we'll see what happens in another couple of weeks. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, maybe your audience need to forg- needs to forgive your cynicism, but I think I completely share it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andy. And to you, Cameron. Let's head out into the sunshine with our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Lovely sunshine, but I guess it's starting to cause some headaches. Yes, morning, Steve. Another fantastic week of weather. The hottest prolonged spell of weather this year since May. It's been 28 degrees and hotter most days for the last seven. And it being as dry as Gandhi's flip-flops means it's bringing plenty of problems on its own with it. But, you know, it is very, very dry out here now. As we all know, you know, we're just along for the ride as far as the weather goes. And we have to take what we get because there's nothing else we can do. And lovely as this weather is, we really could soon do with a drop of rain. We do, of course, have to be very careful what we wish for, because if you remember back to 2019, it was bone dry from the middle of August right up until the 23rd of September. We were losing rate because of the drought, just like we are this year, and we were all praying for that rain. And then it started on the 23rd of September 2019. It didn't really well stop. We lost about 70% of the old seed rape as a combined result of that early dry and huge cabbage stem flea beetle pressure, not letting the drilled old seed rape grow away from the direct feeding damage. 
This then is deja vu. There are an awful lot of similarities between 2019 autumn and autumn 2023. So let's start with all seed rape. Cabbage stem flea beetle, a complete pain in mine and everybody else's backside. The cabbage stem flea beetle has really gone into overdrive this week and absolutely decimating fields out here to such an extent that rape crops are now being written off on a daily basis across the county. There are hotspot areas around Horncastle, Lincoln, Gainsborough, Newark, Sleaford, crops that were drilled in mid-August and that a week ago were nicely emerged at one to three leaves, relatively unaffected by flea beetle. They're now barely visible and shredded beyond repair from direct cabbage stem flea beetle adult feeding. Because, and we go back to the weather, there's no rain. These plants are sat in arid, dry and getting drier seed beds and they're just stopped dead in their tracks because they so desperately need that drink. And without the rain, they're not capable of growing faster than these flea beetles can damage them. So here we are looking at crops being eaten off in front of us. There's nothing we can do about it but pray for rain. And the biggest issue, of course, is that there's no longer any reliable insecticide, snake oil, magic potion that does any good. So there's neither a reliable treatment nor any perfect advice that I or anybody else can give you. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't, but we never know which it's going to be or when it's going to happen. There are all sorts of anecdotal stories, of course. Some bloke who last year sprayed this miracle mix on his old seed rape, then he went and stripped naked apart from one black sock, tooted on a flute in the field at midnight on a full moon, and he reckoned that might have done some good. So growing oilseed rape is now a game where the odds are stacked against us, particularly in a year where cabbage stem flea beetle pressure in a field is the worst we've seen since 2019 when it was so bad. Adult numbers so high, the insecticides we have to control them so useless, the oilseed rape itself so small, and the weather and seed beds they're sitting in so dry and so desperate for rain. There are, of course, those fields which were drilled early doors which got up and away and which look absolutely fantastic romping away and shrugging off the cabbage stem flea beetle and farmers traveling from miles around to marvel at these miracle fields and questioning why they can't grow rape like that at home but think back most of the rape fields that went in in mid-august rather than the first couple of days of august were drilled at that point because last year's crop was still in the field so some growers are looking at those early drilled good-looking crops thinking that all their oilseed rates should have gone in the ground earlier and it'll all be fine. The problem is that, as we know, direct feeding from the adults is one thing, and our task this time of year is to simply, simply, he says, get the crop growing faster than the beetles can damage it to get our crop to October, really, because by then the adult activity will have declined significantly enough and that danger of direct feeding damage will have passed. But the larval infestation and damage in the spring is a devastating consequence of this autumn adult activity and the larval damage is far more destructive to the crop come February, March and April. So just because some of these early drill crops look fantastic now, it doesn't mean they're going to make it beyond April or even to harvest. If you remember 2019-20, we lost about 70% of the drilled rape crop in the autumn as a combination of dry seed beds, cabbage stem flea beetle adult grazing on those dry struggling crops and then later aphid infestation. But then we lost another 50% of the remaining 30 in the spring because the crops got to March and they stopped dead in their tracks from cabbage stem flea beetle and rape winter stem weevil infestations. So those earlier drill bits will have been exposed to up to three more generations of cabbage stem flea beetle than the later drillings, all of whom will have been laying their eggs and storing up the potential issues with larval infestation. So don't covet thy neighbour's rape just because it's forward today. The fact is it could be just as much of an issue in the spring as your backward crop is now. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm being realistic but you know with the all seed rate and cabbage stem flea
flea beetle issues this autumn. It's really hard to be positive when you're seeing what's going on out in the field and when you remember the last time it was like this in 2019. I'm also finding other little pests out there. I can find cabbage root flies stuck to sticky traps and in water traps, particularly down on the sandy land, down the cliff and away towards Newark. So incidental control of cabbage root fly will be achieved when you're spraying the cabbage stem flea beetle with a pyrethroid. But as I've said before, if you're spraying for cabbage stem flea beetle, avoid temperatures above 21 and bright sunlight. Make sure you treat new damage and not constantly going out and respraying the old damage. Make sure you stay within the rules of how many individual doses of pyrethroids and total individual doses and total combined doses you can put on when you're using them. Abide by these intervals and always read the label and stay legal. So seven day intervals with pyrethroids, spray after dark for the best chance of hitting the adults and you do need to hit the adults. Assume absolutely nothing and expect the worst and then you're not going to be disappointed. Of course the question also now being asked is do we redrill failed rape if it stays this hot and there's no rain of any consequence forecast and if the seed bed is bone dry and that's why the last crop fails then probably no if the cabbage stem flea beetle has decimated it and it's also bone dry with no prospect of rain then probably no as i say it's a tough one you have to make your own decision there's no right or wrong but if you can't get one of those then you're a poor old thing black grass beginning to emerge in some of these stale seed beds now so let them do their job and do not be in any hurry to put wheat in the ground even you early wheat drilling types may find that this year could just be a big bydv year because aphid numbers on the volunteers and on the green bridge are huge from what I'm seeing but the swallows are still here at the moment and I'm enjoying them while I can and I'm taking heart that while we've still got the swallows we've still got some hope that it will be all right in the end so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever Sean in a moment we'll discuss some enjoyable inspiring reaffirming and free business support for farming families plus check the livestock and grain markets and see how long the hot dry weather is likely to continue the Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Created by the King when he was Prince of Wales, the Royal Countryside Fund is offering free support, guidance and advice on business and environmental management to farming families in England. It's called Farm for the Future and Senior Programme Officer at the Royal Countryside Fund, Helen Rivett, joins us. Helen, would you tell us a bit more, starting with a bit of background to the Royal Countryside Fund itself? So we are a UK-wide charity um, and it's all about supporting family farms and rural communities. It was founded back in 2010 by His Majesty the King when he was the Prince of Wales, so coming from his love of the countryside. We want to see the countryside not just surviving but also thriving, so we're trying to work on both programmes and funding that enable that and we work with lots of wonderful partners to do that as well. And you have a programme called Farm for the Future. Do you want to just take us through what's involved? What is Farm for the Future? We do indeed. So our Farm for the Future programme has been going for a few years now. Um, We are funded by DEFRA's Future Farming Resilience Fund, and it's all about offering support and advice to farmers. There's a lot of change going on with the agricultural transition. There is a lot of information out there. And um, with our workshops and our one-to-one support, we're trying to make that accessible and understandable to farmers and we do that working with a group of wonderful local partners across England, um, often farm support groups or agricultural colleges who offer very local tailored support because they really know and understand their local communities um, and know how to provide the right information for them. 
Okay, now you say it's it's across the country, but there's a, a local aspect to this. How on a practical basis does it work? So, for example, in the East Midlands, um, we are working with an organisation called Pasture for Life, um, and they will be delivering workshops um, either in or near to Lincolnshire for the farmers. So the series of workshops is, first of all, a welcome meeting to let you know what we're doing and give you an introduction. Um, the two core workshops are then looking at business skills and business efficiency, particularly with direct payments going. That's affecting a lot of farm businesses. So it's kind of talking that through what the possibilities are, what the tools are out there. And the second key workshop is around um, environmental management. Obviously, there's all of these environmental land management schemes now from the government looking at SFI, looking at countryside stewardship. And it's kind of running through what's out there, breaking it down, letting farmers know those key aspects. So we hope by the end, they feel a bit better to go back to their farm and think, OK, what can I do and how can I do it? And then following those workshops, there is the opportunity for a one on one on your farm to look at the options that work for you. Um, and in addition, it's not it's not just about learning. It's also about socialising. Farming can be a very isolated job. So these workshops are also a social opportunity. You've got the experts there. You've got our partners there in the room to talk to. You've got other farmers to talk to as well. So we also have extra workshops on topics that are chosen by the farmers in the group and whatever they're interested in. And how long does the programme last for? This year, it starts around now in the autumn and it will run right through until spring. And again, this is where we love working with our local partners. They know the local farming calendar, so they try and schedule those workshops at times when it suits the farmers. So is there a particular type of farm that would benefit from this or is it available to all? It's definitely available to all. The kind of uh, DEFRA criteria is that it must be English farmers in receipt of BPS. Um, but our charity particularly focuses on small family farms and helping them the most. OK, and is there any cost to this for the farmer? The support, the support is all totally free. All of our funding comes from DEFRA. So you come along. The only thing we might ask you to do is fill out one form. <laughs> oh, OK, I'm sure I can cope with that. You say this has been running for a few years now. What have the results been from the previous programmes? So it's been really positive. So, for example, um, in our first year, 95% of the fa uh, participating farms said they'd increased their confidence and their ability to plan for the future. How is it actually delivered? You say workshops. Are we talking about physical meetings online or a combination? So we have a couple of options where we're in. We're in 17 different regions, actually, across England with our different partners. And all of those are groups that are delivered in person. So you can go along. It's probably in a village hall or a pub or something like that. Often we have ours on farm as well, which is great when farmers can host us. Um, and then if we're not in your area or if kind of travelling is more difficult for you, we also have the option of an online group for farmers from anywhere in England. And that's done on Zoom. OK. And where do we go for more information, Helen? Um, best place to go is to have a look at our website, royalcountrysidefund.org.uk. And we have a Farm for the Future page on there. Details all of our groups and the contact details for our local partners. Uh, brilliant. This looks like a, a wonderful, helpful uh, scheme. You've described it as enjoyable, inspiring, reaffirming and free. Uh, which are four things that sort of generally appeal to, to most people. So <laughs> Helen Rivett from uh, Farm for the Future at the Royal Countryside Fund. Thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate your time. Links FM Farming. 
Market Reports. Starting with livestock and from Louth Livestock Market, Henry Simpson. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome to another weekly roundup from the Louth Livestock Market. Straight on with the prime cattle. There's a handful of cattle forward this week with just a few more than last, with numbers remaining typical for the time of year. The prime steers saw an on an average of 275 pence per kilo and the prime heifers on an average of 274 pence per kilo. The prime steers were topped by DL Lion Co of Barnet Beat at £1,603.70 and from John Scully of Bournemouth at 279 pence per kilo. The prime heifers were topped by J.E. Thurlby of Kexby at £1,604.40 or at £286 per kilo. That wraps up the cattle and now onto the sheep. A very similar offering of prime lambs compared to last week with 403 forward, saw an SQQ of 257 pence per kilo and all an average of 253 pence per kilo. Top of the day goes to MD Copley of Croxton Kerriel at 339 pence per kilo and to Todd Farming of East Torrington at 159 pounds per head. Todd Farming also saw an average of 141 pounds and 30 pence per head for a run of 32. That wraps up the lambs and now onto the cool ewes. Once again, a very similar number to last week with 75 forward, saw an all-in average of £85.32, pence, with the pick of the day going to Todd Farman, achieving £160 per head. There was a good show of stall lambs this week with 56 forward, achieving an average of £69.32, pence, and top of the day goes to AJ Bailey of Osgoby, selling to £85 per head. And please remember, we are selling again tomorrow, and we are taking entries for all prime and cool cows, as well as prime call and store sheep so please do not hesitate to contact a member of the team this has been henry simpson from the mason's rural team thank you thanks henry and to the gray markets with open fields kit dickinson morning kit good morning steve another meeting between putin and ergodon fails to extend the black sea grain initiative with putin restating that his terms for resumption had not been met which included russia's reinstatement of the swift banking system for the russian agricultural bank He also said that there was no global food crisis and blamed the West and the Ukraine for the current impasse. Meanwhile, Russia continues to pump large amounts of grain into the global market, which implies that their export programme is currently unhindered. A fresh attack on the Kirsch Bridge would potentially be a game-changer as 30% of the Russian exports flow via the Kirsch Strait. Russia continues their attacks on the Danube port facilities with three attacks already this month. The Danube is an alternative route to market for Ukrainian exports, as is the Romanian port of Constanza, with talk of floating cranes to increase the loading capacity. This may be a solution in the short term, but probably not viable as we move into the winter months. Overland routes via neighbouring EU countries continue to get pushed back as a fear of a repeat of last year when the flood of Ukrainian grain depressed the local markets. There is much talk of subsidised logistics, although where this money is coming from is questionable. What is clear is that the Ukrainian farmer is not left with much once everyone has taken their cut. DEFRA reduced the wheat area in England year on year by 5.3% this week, with the UK crop forecast now looking more likely to be 13.7 to 14.2 million metric tonnes. Yield and quality are best described as variable as harvest comes to a close and the barn doors are slapped shut. Looking at barley this week, malting premiums have slipped and we put this down to three factors. Firstly, UK and EU farmers who have made the spec on their harvest barley have quite rightly sold in volume to the trade, leading the trade to need to sell in turn. This, we believe, will begin to slow in the coming weeks. Secondly, domestic and EU molsters are looking at crop availability and looking at widening their spec on intake, meaning that they potentially will bring more crop in than previously thought. Thirdly, the lack of demand is still a major issue with consumers reporting a lack of interest from breweries currently. 
The above have been compounded by EU feed barley prices picking up as China bought in volume and merchants look to cover their shorts. Domestically, recent samples from barley cuts in the last week or two would suggest that the quality has fallen dramatically. Germination is falling and nitrogen levels are coming higher than previously seen on earlier drilled crops. Molsters are still learning to deal with the quality issues that they face, leading to rejection rates remaining stubbornly high for the time of year. This will need to change very soon. So looking at all seed rate this week, there have been a number of news stories pulling the market in different directions and adding to the volatility of the Matif rapeseed. There's been talk of high rapeseed plantings in the Ukraine which has weighed on the market. A survey from the Agricultural Producers Conduct by the Ministry of Agriculture showed that the area of rapeseed for harvest 2024 may increase by 30% compared to the current season to a record of 1.9 million hectares. This could mean that the 2024 crop is bigger than the record 4.2 million metric tonne of rapeseed the Ukraine plan for this season. So moving forward to prices this week, feed wheat for September 170 to 179, November 172 to 182, February 178 to 188 and May 184 to 194. Milling wheat premiums are currently £65. Feed barley for September 154 to 164, November 157 to 167, February 159 to 169 and May 162 to 172. Malting premiums are circa £65. September all seed rate 350 to 355, November 360 to 365, February 365 to 372 and May 377 to 382. Thank you, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A very hot start to the week, but there's cooler temperatures and some rain on the way. Winds will be light and variable all week, and temperatures topping out at 31 Celsius today under patchy sunshine, and then from Monday the highs gradually ease off through the week, ending in the upper teens by Friday. Expect some welcome rain on Tuesday and Wednesday, and again at the end of the week. Well, that's it for this week, but before we go, a couple of dates for your diary. In Lincolnshire, the Institute of Agricultural Management has a discussion group on support for the farming sector. That's on Tuesday from 4.30 at the Dambusters Inn at Scampton. Next Sunday, it's the finals of Britain's Fittest Farmer, and we wish all the best to William Arden, Abby Mason, Sonia Rabone and Jenny Woodcock from Lincolnshire and Nottinghamshire. And looking ahead, the Lincolnshire Harvest Festival will take place at the Lincoln Cathedral on Sunday the 22nd of October, starting at 3 o'clock. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Steve Orchard. The next Farming Programme podcast will go live on Sunday the 17th of September at 7am. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.